0: So to help businesses keep their staff employed, we're bringing in a 75% wage subsidy.
1: If you're struggling, please reach out. During these difficult days, we all need to stick together. What we are doing so far is working, but that will change if we let our guard down too soon. Understand that previous generations fought and gave up their lives to protect their fellow citizens. Young people did their part, they stood up and they did their part. And you have the chance to do your part now. We really feel that we're at a crisis point and it's causing uh, physicians, nurses and other healthcare workers on the front line immense anxiety and additional stress that they don't need.
2: Hi, I'm Mike LeCouture and you're listening to The West Block.
1: This is the largest economic program in Canada's history. We estimate this measure to protect Canadian jobs will cost $71 billion dollars and reduce the cost of the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which we introduced just last week.
2: Interest-free loans, wage subsidies of 75% deferred payments on the GST and HST. Now, all of those measures announced by the government last week are supposed to help small and medium-sized businesses stay afloat and help workers stay on the payroll. It's welcomed, but many businesses say it's simply not enough. They say they can't afford to pay back loans and they need rent relief now. So... Is that on the table? Joining me now is Mary Ng, the Minister of Small Business, Expert Promotion and International Trade. Minister, your government has announced that billions of dollars were being put aside to help small and medium-sized businesses affected by COVID-19, including a 75% wage subsidy for qualifying businesses for up to three months. Now, many of those businesses say they can't wait the additional six weeks it'll take to get that money. What is holding up getting those funds out the door right now?
0: Well, thank you, Mike, and, uh, and uh, I want to thank uh, the Canadian businesses who are doing some extraordinary measures, Canadians who are doing extraordinary, me- extraordinary measures to plank the curve here in Canada. And uh, the measures that we have put out are in response to what we heard from businesses. Businesses asked us to give them some help so that they can keep employees on their payroll, help them with the operating funds that they need to operate, and to help keep their costs low. So that's what we've done here. And with respect to the wage subsidy, We said it'll take about three to six weeks. We hope that the six weeks is on the outside of that time frame, but that I want to assure Canadian businesses we're working as hard, literally around the clock, to make sure that these measures are there for them all across the country.
2: Now, we know this is unprecedented, and so you guys are trying to figure this out as we go along and get the money out as quickly as possible. But when you talk to them, what are they saying they need right now, at this moment, to stay afloat?
0: Well, I've talked to, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples uh, to the restaurant owner who we see literally in community after community who are staying closed right now so that they can do their part to plant the curve. They're staying closed, but they want to they want uh, to be primed for recovery when it is safe to do so. And one of the things that's really important is to be able to keep their employees. So helping them with a 75% wage subsidy, which is to pay 75% of an employee's wage for the next three months is something that uh, has helped business owners, restaurant owners that I've talked to, said that it's it made the difference between making the decision to lay off staff, in some instances rehiring some staff, um, so that they are primed for recovery. And we know that the single most important thing for recovery is the people in your business. And that's what this, uh, that's what this wage subsidy will help to do.
2: But there, a lot of businesses operate on pretty tight margins and sometimes on a month-to-month basis. Do you have a sense of how many businesses simply aren't going to be able to remain operational if this goes on for another two to three months and may not actually be there for the recovery per- period?
0: Well, that's why we introduce measures to help with the operating funds and cash flow for businesses. That's the other thing that they talked to us about. So a $40,000 interest-free loan for businesses, for small businesses, to weather them through this period. And uh, that is accessible through your financial institution. We've worked hard with Canadian banks and financial institutions like credit unions so that you can go to your financial institution and look for that bridging support and that help. And it's interest-free. And uh, and should you be able to pay it back by December of 2022, then $10,000 or 25% of that will be Forgiving. So these are a range of measures and the business owners and the businesses I've been talking to said, you know, they appreciated that uh, that they now have a number of things that they are looking at so that they can make the decisions that they need to make going forward to help deal with what is a very difficult situation across this country.
2: Now, I know it's difficult to sort of project how much longer this will be. It could be two months, could be three months. But how much more is your government preparing already right now to look at the next step, if it does go two to three months or even beyond? Because you need to be prepared now to deliver those in in the next month or so so that businesses know what's coming.
0: Well, we're going to continue to listen to businesses. As I I talk to businesses every day, um, many, many businesses, and uh, my colleagues do as well. We're going to continue to work together. I want to assure Canadian businesses that nothing is more important to me than helping them and supporting them through this very difficult period, and we're going to need to keep working together. The work is not done yet. We're going to have to keep looking at uh at measures that are going to help our businesses through this period. Um, what is the job we're trying to do here? We're trying to save jobs. We're trying to save our businesses. We're trying to give the businesses the supports and the tools that they need so that during this very difficult period, they are able to weather it so that we can be primed for recovery. And, uh, and we're going to keep working hard with our businesses to, uh, to get through this.
2: One of thing that a lot of small business leaders are asking for is rent assistance. The wage subsidies and loans, they're a good first step. But they're saying that if they can't afford to pay the rent, that kind of assistance is not going to actually keep their doors open. So I want to know, is your government ready with some sort of a program for rent assistance for these businesses?
0: Well, that's a very good question. And uh, what I would say to businesses across the country is, look, nothing is off the table. We, uh, we have worked with you. We're going to continue to work with you. But one of the things that businesses talk to me about is the help that they need to have those operating funds and the cash flow. So for the small businesses, the $40,000 interest-free loan is going to really help. For larger businesses who need a larger size, these loans go up to $6.25 million. We've unlocked billions of dollars of lending capability by our financial institutions. And look, I just had a conversation with a bank manager um, who has been a a, a bank manager for 30 years. And he said this to me, he said, you know, he has lent to a lot of businesses. And uh, one example he gave to me was a small business many, many years ago who no longer is that small business. But through the years when difficulties have occurred, he worked with his client um, and he will do that again this time around. And uh, the lending support and capability that we have unlocked is going to help those financial institutions do that to support our businesses. And I want to assure Canadian businesses across the country... This is really important to me. I am going to continue to work. Our team is going to continue to work, and our government is going to continue to do what is necessary to support you through this very difficult period.
2: Minister, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it.
1: We need better information, and we need transparency as well as the supply. We could relieve a lot of the anxiety if physicians and other frontline workers knew what was coming down the
2: pipeline. That was CMA President Sandy Buckman. and one of his provincial colleagues, MPP Natalia Kuzendova, was a registered nurse before she was elected to the provincial legislature two years ago. She recently returned to the front lines as the COVID-19 pandemic hit her province, putting a strain on the healthcare system. So why did she decide to go back to 12-hour shifts in the ER? We'll ask her right now. She's joining us from Mississauga. Thanks so much for joining us. I just wanted to ask you, you're doing three 12-hour shifts at the Etobicoke General Hospital. Why would you decide to go back?
3: Well, I think we all have a moral obligation to ask ourselves a question. Where are our skills best utilized in this fight against COVID? And for me personally, that answer was very simple. It's in the front lines with my nursing and uh, doctor colleagues. And when the call went out there for uh, retired and non-practicing nurses to return back into active duty, um, I answered that call.
2: So what was it like? I mean, did did you have to shake off any of the rust or did you just get right back into it?
3: So I got right back into it, and I went in early enough uh, when the hospitals weren't too too busy yet, uh, which allowed me to actually practice some of my skills and, you know, uh, refreshen up some on some of my nursing knowledge. I also participated in a simulation conducted by uh, Dr. Hans Latarić and some of the leadership at uh, Etobicoke ER. And uh, that was great because I got to practice uh, in a safe environment, uh, a code blue scenario and an intubation scenario on a presumptive COVID patient. So uh, that that was really good for me to train that muscle memory so that when I need to use it in in real life, I'll be prepared.
2: And it's got to be a unique perspective for an elected official. I mean, what are you hearing from fellow nurses and doctors on the front lines in terms of what they need to deal with this pandemic?
3: Absolutely. It is a very unique perspective. And of course, everyone has been talking about PPE. Uh, So PPE is what we need as frontline healthcare professionals. And I know that our government uh, has done its due diligence in procuring uh, millions and millions of PPE together with our partners at the federal level. However, the question is of when these uh, supplies are coming, uh, because, you know, there are different needs, uh, different local needs, um, depending on which hospital um, the frontline staff is working at. And so uh, we are all waiting anxiously for those supplies to arrive.
2: So how are you getting that message back to Premier Ford? I, I would assume that you're having regular conversations. But do you think that other political ideas have a full understanding of the lack of those personal protective equipment and all of the other challenges on the front lines that you guys are facing now?
3: Absolutely. Premier Ford has been very gracious and we've been in constant communication. Uh, Also with uh, Minister Elliott, we've had several phone calls. Uh, So I am communicating directly from the front lines uh, to our leadership team. And I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, There is a local business, a local print shop that has stepped up and produced a prototype for a face shield that Premier Ford has personally picked up from me and has now uh, given it back to the command table to see uh, if it fits all the standards and requirements and and to get it uh, quickly approved through Health Canada so that we can get this uh, protective face shield produced locally here in Mississauga and distributed to our local hospitals. So the premier has been extremely, extremely proactive, even getting his own truck uh, to go pick up some supplies from a local business owner who was donating 100,000 masks. Uh, So premier is right there in the front lines with the rest of us.
2: So are you concerned about being back on the front lines knowing that you have this sort of other public life? And what precautions are you taking so that you can still do both jobs as an MPP and a nurse?
3: Well, so I am going back for uh, three times a week and my office is fully functional virtually. I have a daily call with my staff Monday to Friday. We respond to phone calls and emails and and so I still make myself very available to my constituents. We are running a local uh, grocery delivery service uh, to seniors in my riding, which has been very successful. And so, you know, I'm there uh, in both of those roles as an MPP and uh, and as an RN. But I think right now my skills uh, as an RN are are very needed in the front lines. And especially in the coming weeks, I think, uh, you know, um, I will be spending more time in the emerge rather than, you know, uh, working from home and communicating with my constituents. Not to say that my staff, my staff are wonderful and they've been doing a great job and they will continue uh, to run my office very smoothly.
2: It's got to be a tough balance, but given your experience as a nurse and what you're now seeing being back on the front lines, what do you surprise the most about going back into medicine during this pandemic?
3: So I think... um... The protocols that are in place uh, at my hospital, they're excellent. So we have a separate entrance for staff where staff are screened on a daily basis before they enter the hospital. They're asked questions about uh, having symptoms or recent travel and only when they answer no to to all the questions, they are allowed to go into the hospital. They have to perform hand hygiene right in front of those security officers there, put on a mask and then proceed to the hospital. We also have a separate protocol for our COVID suspected patients. So anyone going into the emerge, and exhibiting some of symptoms of COVID and, and passing the screen, uh, then they would be escorted through a separate entrance uh, away from the other patients. And there are very specific COVID protocols. We also have specific COVID protocols for running code blue uh, situations, which I have mentioned previously. So um, I'm, I'm not surprised that my, that my hospital is, is prepared and is teaching staff. Um, and I think they're doing an excellent job and, and it's good to do it early on again before we see that surge that we are all expecting in the coming weeks.
2: How worried are you about that surge?
3: You know what? I'm as worried as anyone else, as worried as our premier and uh, as our minister of health. Uh, we are seeing the devastating images coming from uh, Italy, from France, but even closer to home from the USA. Uh, so we are really urging the public to do their part to ensure that we don't, we do not have that same level of devastation here in Ontario. But I think definitely it's, um, you know, at the back of uh, everyone's mind, and uh, we are silently, anxiously awaiting for the search to arrive.
2: I've only got 20 seconds left, so I just wanted to ask you, as a nurse, what would you tell yourself as a politician needs to be done now?
3: Right now, just keep on continuing the procurement of PPE. I think this is our number one priority, and as well as the procurement of ventilators, which we have done in Ontario, 10,000 ventilators coming our way uh, that are sourced locally. So uh, those two are really uh, top priorities.
2: We appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks for going back to the front lines. We appreciate it, Ms. Kuznova.
3: My pleasure.
1: Social isolation can be hard on people. And my message to everyone watching today is this. You're not alone. We're listening. We care.
2: That was Ontario Premier Doug Ford addressing mental health issues many people are facing with this new coronavirus. Now, one professor at the University of Toronto recently launched a free online course to help people manage their mental health. Joining me now from Toronto is Professor Steve Jordans. He's a psychology professor at University of Toronto. Thanks so much for joining us. First of all, tens of thousands of people have registered for this course. What led you to pull all this together?
1: Yeah, well, I mean one of the things I say in the course is is that when we're feeling anxious, and I think just about all of us are feeling anxious right now myself included, we, our body kind of gives us this command to do something. Um, it usually wants us to fight or flee, uh, in this condition, you try to figure out what that is and, and we can't really flee. So fight, how do you fight back? And, you know, for me, it was just, this is something I I know a little bit about and, and I can help people kind of understand their anxiety response and, and how to manage it, uh, which really isn't that hard to do. Uh, so I just wanted to share some of that and hope it would help people as they face the challenge that we're all in right now.
2: Now you say it's not hard to do, but so many people are dealing with this now and they don't know what to do. So give us a bit of a preview of your course. What kind of advice is most useful to people during these difficult times?
1: Yeah, well, well I have one part that's a little complex to get into, but it just um, it describes the actual fight or flee system and how it arises and, and talks about something called guided relaxation, that you can actually learn to kind of conjure relaxation and, and put your body into that state. Uh, and that's, you cannot be both anxious and relaxed at the same time. So if you can really learn to put yourself into a relaxed state, you can kind of turn off anxiety, but you know, that, that's the sort of fancy psychological technique that I try to teach people as they go. But a more sort of mundane approach is to literally pay attention to what activities and stimuli in the environment do to you and manage them. So for example, just a quick one, the news, um, you know, your your bread and butter. We're all really hungry for information right now. In fact, we can kind of get addicted to it. But the news also makes us anxious. It tells us about the threat, and so some of us have the news on all day. Bad idea. Budget your news. Uh, maybe have something funny after you watch the news. Something to bring your mind somewhere else. Um, and you know. There, there are other stimuli and other things you can do that will actually help your anxious state. So I try to get people to think about that. What are these various things? How do they affect my mental health?
2: And how difficult is it to manage that when you consider, you know, the numbers and what we're seeing, either from different countries or even here within Canada, when we see the you know projections or the trajectory of these curves? How it can really affect people and. How are people supposed to manage all of that? Because they say information is power, but if they have too much of it and governments maybe aren't releasing it uh, because they're concerned about that, how should people manage that themselves?
1: It is just, you know, we use this word unprecedented more than we've ever used it before, but, but it is. And so the system, our basic system, was meant to deal with a bear stepping in front of us, you know, a very defined threat, and we either fight it or flee. We've got this vague very powerful thing that's threatening multiple parts of our life, which is why we all feel so anxious. But I mean, one answer is things like distraction. So, so if you live in it, which you probably do, and I kind of do now, we're marinating ourselves and all this stuff, it's really tough, but you have to learn to say, okay, I got the information I need, and now I'm going to pull my mind somewhere else. Um, and, and there are ways to do that. There are certain stimuli that you might find engaging. Um, there are things like learning and bettering yourself while under isolation, maybe taking a course on something, trying to bring some normalcy to your life. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, and every time we go back to this current situation, that anxiety is going to come back. So it certainly isn't, you know, here's how to get rid of anxiety. Um, it's more like how to live with that annoying uh, roommate that you have. And, and we all have this annoying roommate anxiety that keeps popping its head up now and then. So how can we learn to live with it? And part of it is just not have that roommate in our face all the time.
2: And that roommate, unfortunately, rears its ugly head so often. And one of the issues is that we need to hear from the roommate. For instance, maybe I'm taking the roommate analogy a little too far <laughs> here, but you know the government continues to say that physical distancing is so important. Uh, and they're not really giving us, just because they don't have it, uh, that, you know, any light at the end of the tunnel saying that this distancing is going to last possibly for months, weeks for sure. So how difficult is it for people to manage that stress with so much of the unknown that they don't know how long this is going to go for?
1: Yeah. So first, let me say thank you for using the term physical distancing. It should be our new term. Um, We should be socially cuddling, I guess, but socially cuddling while physically distancing. I think that's the real change. One of our most basic ways of dealing with anxiety and grief and uh, trauma is through uh, emotional connections with other human beings. And this is a huge challenge now because, you know, for example, the ultimate form, of that would be the hug. And, and we know psychologically hugs do a lot of good, but of course, we can only hug so many people now. Uh, And so we have to learn how to emotionally connect with other people. I think we have to learn this new way of being um, and realize that, yes, this will end, but it may not be the end. Um, there, there, There are pandemics on a regular basis. This could be seasonal. We should be looking at this as a way of learning this way of being, um, because yes, it'll pass, but we may come back to this way of being at at times. And so learning how we can kind of redefine our life at home, how we can um, manage all of these stresses as we go, we will find that we can get through it. Uh, Humans are much more resilient. My parents went through the war as young children in Holland, and I hear the stories, and it, it, it just, you know, used to make my mind go whatever, but but when a world is as it is, and once you get settled into that, it's amazing how resilient humans can be, um, but but some coping techniques along the way can really help that along.
2: And I hope that a lot of people sign up for your course and that it helps a lot of people in these times where we just don't know what's going to happen and we need to deal with this anxiety. We're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, Professor, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. Well,
2: that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us. For The West Block, I'm Mike LeCouture. Stay safe, everyone.